0: Welcome to the Dry Bones Ministries podcast, where we strive to provide great preaching and teaching so that listeners will discover or rediscover the goodness, truth, and beauty of our Catholic faith. If you are interested in supporting the work we are doing, visit us at drybonespgh.org or follow us on social media at drybonespgh. Thanks for joining us. We hope that you are inspired, uplifted, and encouraged. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to a special Dry Bones Ministries podcast series on C.S. Lewis's The Four Loves. This classic book where he breaks open the depths of our one word love into a deeper understanding through the different Greek words. And even as we're starting off in these chapters, appreciating different needs and pleasures and how they all build this foundation to help us climb up to the heights to appreciate the truth of what love is between persons and between persons and God. I'm inspired by um, our first Pope, Peter, his first letter to his faithful. I think it's uh, appropriate to us. This is 1 Peter 1.12. Therefore, gird up your minds, be sober, set your hope fully upon the grace that is coming to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as He who called you is holy, be holy yourselves and all your conduct, since it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. I love this as just a word of encouragement and injunction to really, yeah, gird up our minds, which with C.S. Lewis, I feel like. My mind needs some girding to be able to just hang with him with some of his anecdotes and cultural references that I have no idea what he's referring to. And just kind of getting into um, some of the nitty gritty with these different distinctions. But I think uh, hopefully with this podcast to be able to appreciate it, Ah, which is a great word for this chapter today, Um, likings and loves of the subhuman but but also, I guess, first, what I appreciate about Peter is then to do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. We're going to see this idea of our passions, our desires, and we're going to hope to separate them from our former ignorance. Before being baptized into Christ Jesus, the the pagans were ruled by their passions, governed by them. And then to be able to put on Christ Jesus allows us with our intellects now formed, fortified, enlightened by grace, we can see rightly how our passions are meant to be governed with our our intellects so that we can then, with our wills, choose to respond to our passions. And that's what, uh, yeah, hopefully this is all about, being holy, getting to heaven. And C.S. Lewis uh, touched on that in our introduction and now in our First chapter, he's going to go even more so. So are you ready? Good, good. He starts off this chapter um, with this little maxim that I jumped over, but I think need to um, highlight. in the At the end of the first paragraph, he says, Since the highest does not stand without the lowest, we had better begin at the bottom with mere likings. And since to like anything means to take some sort of pleasure in it, we must begin with pleasure. So this little maxim, it actually comes from the imitation of Christ that C.S. Lewis greatly valued. And rational assent to Christianity, he believes, cannot occur unless there is some low stuff, some meaningful content to which the higher faculty of reason can grant assent. Reason cannot operate without imagination. So for for him, before we get into the the heights of loves, especially between persons, we need to kind of get down into the the gritty uh, stuff of our passions, of our likings, and that includes our pleasures. And so he's gonna break open these two and then unfold into a third different pleasure. And you'll see from there how it ends. It kind of builds from these different pleasures to this appreciation. And to finally, we'll be ready to get into our first love, that of affection. So let's break some of these open. Uh, He makes a first distinction between need pleasures and pleasures of appreciation. Need pleasures and pleasures of appreciation. If you're like me, you kind of hear that and you're like, okay, I kind of understand what you're saying. And and then he goes back and forth, back and forth, and um, it, it was easy to get lost. So need pleasures in its core, it comes from a lack, something that I don't have that, that I want. So it's something like I'm thirsty and oh, now I'm satisfied by having this drink for water. Makes a, a funny, funny play off of someone who's really in need of a bathroom, and just like the relief of being able to see a sign over a door, "Gentlemen," like, "Whoa, there it is." On the other hand, a pleasure of appreciation doesn't come from a lack; it comes from a fullness. I, I'm, there's nothing that I'm looking for, but oh, here's an unexpected gift—the sense of smell from a flower. Or he keeps referring to this bean field, which actually made me really curious about like, what does a bean field smell like? Because it doesn't seem like something that would draw me in, but the way that he's talking about it (laughs) makes me curious. Uh, This can be distorted, this pleasure of appreciation. He kind of talks about alcohol, for instance, you can really appreciate uh, the smell of wine, right? It's not because I'm thirsty that I just like need to have my alcohol. But actually, it can be distorted where we, like, appreciate the smell, the taste of a fine wine. But that appreciation can be distorted and turn into a need. Back to um, pleasures. Maybe just to pause and stop. What are some of these things in our own lives? What are some, some need pleasures that that you and I have come just to, like, have routinely in in our own lives what whenever we wake up what's what's a need that we have it's like ah I gotta get my coffee gotta get my shower gotta get my things together like those sorts of (laughs) caffeine's probably a big one um yeah just like easy something like that um what are they in your life different different needs is there someone that you like to talk to to connect with is there something on your phone that you feel like you really need to check in with um, is there something that you need to do before you start the day? What are those different things? And then maybe too, just to pause and think about what are some of the different pleasures of appreciation that I have in my life? Well, there are different things that just out of a fullness, I'll come to appreciate, and maybe it is something like nature. Maybe it is something like, um, a book, maybe it's a walk. Maybe it's time alone. Maybe fill it in for, your, for yourself. Hold those, and then let's keep diving in. Um, need pleasures. He says that need pleasures um, seems to be a desire. And then it's interesting that as soon as I, I recognize that desire, I satisfy it, the pleasure is over. And you can imagine him saying in his great English accent, by Jove, I wanted that. And he says, you know, we describe it in the past tense that these need pleasures seem to die on us with extraordinary abruptness and completely. Which is really interesting. Can you think about that? Like when you have this push, this desire coming from a lack, that as soon as you have, it's gone. (laughs) It's gone and like there isn't even a time to like recognize it in the in the current before it's oh, I'm not thirsty. I'm not hungry anymore or I'm no longer in need of a caffeine boost. In contrast, pleasures of appreciation, these are described in the present tense. They don't merely gratify our senses, but he says they claim our appreciation by right. An example is an appreciation of wine that demands his whole attention. Like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe this. This is blowing my mind. The smells, the tastes, the lingering this or that. I don't know how to describe wine. Um, And then there's even this movement of wanting it to be appreciated by others too. Like, You've got to come and taste this. You've got to come and try this. You've got to come and see this. And then there's another interesting characteristic a uh, pleasure of appreciation also desires it to be preserved for generations to come i would so desire like nothing to happen to this okay maybe a, a, a further question which one do we value more need pleasures or pleasures of appreciation he kind of answers this question uh supposing that thinking back to the last chapter, the introduction, it was kind of similar with a different comparison of need loves and gift loves that we almost seem naturally to downplay need love coming from a lack coming from um, a poverty or an, or an, emptiness that we would really appreciate and value the gift love, just giving from our surplus, this, uh, this gift that's disinterested, but for pleasures, he claims that it may be the opposite, that we would downplay the pleasures of appreciation. And I don't know if you find that true. Like which which one, a pleasure of need or a pleasure of appreciation do you think has a higher value? There's something like uh, really great about those pleasures of appreciation. Um, if it is the wine, if it is the smell, if it is the walk or the silence or the and yet I think he's right. And maybe even um, more so in our day to day. And it seems like, cause we're so pragmatic that we, we very much are boiled down to what do I need to have? Like what is essential for me to, to thrive and to flourish? And these are the things that I kind of have on my to-do list to be able to have for myself or my spouse or my children. Um, and and that's kind of all, all I care about. And, and even thinking too, maybe more, more on this later is thinking about how so many people today are driven by their need pleasures right like how many of us just move from like one need pleasure to the next like I just yep I need this I need this I need this and we have no time many of us for a sense of a pleasure of appreciation like to create that time, create that, No, like, why would you do that? Why would you take a walk? Why would you go and allow yourself just to to think with your own thoughts or to to spend time learning about different foods or wines? That That's not practical. And so yeah, you and I that live in this very pragmatic world, uh, that's so busy and fast paced, don't have any time for this. Okay, he says that we're gonna hold off and respect the difference Um, between the the need need pleasures and the pleasure of appreciation because they both are going to foreshadow characteristics and our loves that we're going to tie into. Okay, one last difference between need pleasures and pleasures of appreciation. The need pleasures, they loudly proclaim their relativity not only to the human frame, but to its momentary condition. On the other hand, pleasures of appreciation, they give us the feeling that we somehow owe it to them to savor, to attend to, and to praise them. So, well, well on the one hand, the need pleasures, they're very relative to this um, human frame. It's just like this momentary thing, as soon as I uh, need it, now I have it, now it's gone. With pleasures of appreciation, there's this interesting contrast of we want to savor it, attend to it, give it our, our attention, and, and even praise it. Um, yeah, thinking about this, pleasures of appreciation seem to claim our appreciation by right. Why do we then desire its preservation? Do you have a thought about this? Why do we desire its preservation, these different pleasures of appreciation? He kind of gives the idea of, you imagine a child like being able to go out through the fields and just so uh, appreciating the smell of the bean field. It's like, wow, I want to go there, and I didn't even know it. And you can think about this individual being devastated if later on, whenever he grew up, moved away to college, and got a job somewhere else, only to find out that that bean field was destroyed and turned into a shopping center <laughs> like a, a walmart really my bean field is now a walmart and just that being crushed and and it's like why he didn't need it there was nothing needing needful about it but that appreciation formed a relationship with that bean field or whatever it is that desires its preservation that nothing would happen to it that it would be able to live on for generations to come, so that all of my children can appreciate that amazing bean field. <laughs> but maybe for you too. Like, like, is there something in your family, like an heirloom, uh, something that again, I don't need that painting, or I don't need that china silverware, um, or maybe even that that note, that letter. But I I I so appreciate the historical significance, the people that were included, or, or where it came from, or my own experience of it, that I want it to to stay there forever. Maybe it's a historic building. Maybe it's a church, and I just like so want it to be passed on. Yeah, just something to think about. I don't need it, and yet there's something that, because of the relationship of appreciation, I'm I'm invested in it, and there's uh, yeah, like I owe it something because of its great gift to me. Okay, another question. How do need pleasures give way to need loves? How do need pleasures? So there's a relationship there, right? Between a, a need pleasure and a need love. Notice on the one hand, they do not last longer than the need. He says this on, it's my page, 15 it's um it's the beginning of the paragraph that says how the need pleasures foreshadow our need loves is obvious enough dot 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 he says this does not fortunately mean that all affections which begin in need love are transitory can we see that so not all our affections which begin in need love are transitory so yeah there are some need loves, need for friends, need, need for intimacy, need for exercise, need for adventure, for quiet, need for God, that um, it's not just transitory and then, and then gone, but they can actually come back again and almost be recycled, so to speak. And so he says, yeah, even think about how someone's religion can die as soon as the need is gone. Can we fault them? So yeah, there's this, The person who prays whenever they really are in in need of an answer for strength and maybe God comes through and answers them and then as soon as it's gone, it, it falls away. Most likely that'll come back again, but is there something that can sustain them? So if need pleasures give way to need loves, what is pleasures of appreciation? foreshadow what do those lead us to and he says the starting point is beauty both the sensual below and the aesthetic above so the beauty that moves me down in the depths of my bowels my emotions but then also that enlightens my mind and my heart um just yeah the aesthetics of being able to be brought into the transcendence of beauty and there is this slight shadow here of disinterestedness or unselfishness that we're willing to sacrifice to preserve its goodness, as we were talking about, right? That we don't we do not merely like the things he says; we pronounce them in a momentarily godlike sense, very good. Where does that come from? It's, it's this. Uh, I think this tapping into. I'm just thinking about um, being able to go on a hike and be able to climb up mountain and to be, get at the very, very top. And perhaps it's the view, perhaps it's the lake that I see, or maybe it's the sky, maybe it's the sunset that's that's happening and that we might claim it. Right, almost in this godlike sense is very good. That's this kind of like this beauty that moves us because we have received this incredible gift that we didn't do anything to anything deserve. Um, maybe some will say like, no, 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 like that's what I was looking for. But so often the beauty is still beyond what I was looking for or working towards. That was just a a preparation to dispose us for the great gift of the beautiful thing that now I'm able to, uh, in a sense, get in contact with God. Because God is the author and the giver of, of all these good things so that we might this amazing thing. I've never thought about this, like echo his words. It is very good. And so this then is the third element of this love beyond the need love and the gift love here foreshadowed in our appreciative pleasures is this idea of when it's directed towards a person, it's admiration or praise. And when it's directed to God, It is worship. So I'm going to read this whole paragraph that seems to to capture it. It says, it starts with need love cries to God from our poverty. Gift love longs to serve or even to suffer for God. Appreciative love, this third type of love. And this third type of love, it comes from this um, appreciative desire. Appreciative love says, we give thanks to thee for thy glory. Need love says of a woman, I cannot live without her. Gift love longs to give her happiness, comfort, protection, if possible, wealth. And appreciative love gazes and holds its breath and is silent. Rejoices that such a wonder should exist, even if not for him. Will not be wholly dejected by losing her. Would rather have it so than never to have seen her at all. When's the last time we've had an experience of appreciative love? Maybe for God? Just being, uh, just appreciating his glory, his greatness, his grandeur, the beauty that he shares with us, or maybe it's even the unsuspected uh, smell or taste or just pleasure that I wasn't looking for and yet here it is freely given and overwhelming that we might have a movement just to appreciate and to glorify God or maybe too this appreciative love towards another person to really be able to see who that, who that other is the gift that's unique and unrepeatable. And even if it's for no longer than just this time that I have with them, you would still say I would have rather had this moment than to have never had it at all because I wasn't looking for it. It wasn't just out of a a lack, but the gift is the person. And so to be able to glorify, uh, yeah. And to give thanks for, for that person, that great gift. So after kind of setting this stage for these different, um, loves of the of the subhuman so here are these different pleasures that he starts to like inkle upwards right here we we have these movements upwards up towards persons up towards god he now brings us um back to maybe like a full exploration of how our loves for not god not humans but for subhumans different things of of nature and our country how these can be brought to good and how they can be brought to distortion, wickedness and um ultimately wickedness it it went on i'm not going to lie it <laughs> went on for several pages and maybe you're wondering like what are you talking about but um what what's the point here that i guess love of nature and love of our country or patriotism he goes on to talk about how these are very like natural experiences of things that we would come to appreciate um just kind of a a, a natural thing and and even some of them we might say have a a need pleasure maybe for um, for our country or for our homeland. Um, but in a sense, it's really this love or um a pleasure of appreciation. And I think nature is kind of a natural one to be able to say, most people can have an appreciation of nature. Anyone, anyone who has a pulse, right? Hopefully. Um, but it can be distorted because nature, he he says multiple times, can be thought of as a a teacher, but this would be wrong that if we want to learn what's true about life from nature, um, going to be very misled maybe of like what's true of uh, what's spiritually true what's moral right and wrong or even metaphysical reality we need to get the order right that we learn what is true not from nature we learn what's true from religion from theology and from philosophy from these first principles and it's actually only from there that we can then have it verified by the things of nature Otherwise, if we look for what's true in nature, he warns us that we're just going to be then—I uh, forget how he says it exactly—tempted to just kind of impose our our own belief systems onto nature, and we're going to find what we want to find. And this kind of echoes um, too to this quote that he had back in um, the f- introduction, where he says, "If we ignore the truth that God is love." it may slyly come to mean for us the converse that love is God. So you can see here how like, yeah, really insightful it is that if I don't know that God is love, then it's easy to make an idol of nature because it's so beautiful and there's so many different things to appreciate. Um, But how many people even today have come to idolize nature, worship it, and think that it is the determining factor for how I'm supposed to live, how I'm supposed to treat other people, and it can come to be this, um, yeah, this ruling force in itself. Ah, but the twist, the distortion, it's upside down, because the love of nature has to come, first of all, from our love and knowledge of of God, God himself. And then the love of country is also... Um, Something that he highlights. It's easy for it to become a God or a demon, he even says. But it's not bad in itself. Even Jesus Christ wept over Jerusalem. Um, a love for one's country and appreciation is just like love for one's home that's extended to the country. It's love for a way of life, for customs, for food, and for language. And just as you want, wouldn't want foreigners to rule over your own country, it's just like you wouldn't want your own house to be burned down. And, yeah, I can't help but think this is really important for us today whenever there's so much, uh, yeah, especially as Westerners, where the different things that make us uniquely, culturally, linguistically uh, unique is just being boiled down, um, yeah, completely washed away. And what was once the strength of being a, a melting pot of different cultures has <laughs> seemingly just been whitewashed into one big, bland <laughs> uh, soup of nothingness. And and that's really sad. I think a lot of people today are very disenchanted with one's own country. It's hard to have pride in something that has no defining characteristics or even a, a language that we would assent to or even a, a set of principles that we would live for or fight for. And... um yeah, I couldn't help but but think about think about that. Um, so it can get dangerous. An attitude, an attitude for one's country's past, like the history, all the different heroes and the different mythologies of of the different wars and things that were won before. Those can be great to kind of bolster up a, a great courage, but they can be dangerous when the mythology becomes historic facts that then kind of uh, are used to rule and dominate over others, that we have this great patronage, but you don't. It also becomes dangerous in the sense that um, it would not be a sentiment, but a belief. He says that it would be a firm, even prosaic belief that our own nation in sober fact has long been and still is markedly superior to all others. Oh, so how dangerous, right? Easily so. Maybe just to think about why is C.S. Lewis um, writing all of this? Well, he is writing this book at a time that is fresh off of the Second World War and also a time when there's a lot of like, uh, yeah, a lot of nationalism and even Um, colonialism. He kind of rages against that, this idea that, um, that a patriotism would stress the rights and not the duties, that I have this right to share my culture and my, my everything with this other, um, yeah, third world country and take it over and yeah, do whatever I want to the resources and things. And anyway, he just like he's reacting to, to a lot of this. And even, to in the very last part of this chapter, he really rages against how you can... Hmm, how about I read it? This is the second to last paragraph of this chapter. He says, Here it will be enough to say that the heavenly society is also an earthly society. Our merely natural patriotism toward the latter... So the earthly society can very easily borrow the transcendent claims of the former, and use them to justify the most abominable actions. So that for our worldly national pride, that we would take heavenly pride in this claim of a heavenly homeland, and these, um, and the different claims of truth and goodness and um, and salvation and to use those to justify abominable actions. And I'm sure you can think about how, yeah, religion has been used to justify a lot of horrible things. And this is what he's then writing against. If ever the book which I am not going to write is written, it must be the full confession by Christendom of Christendom's specific contribution to the sum of human cruelty and treachery. Large areas of, quote, the world, will not hear us till we have publicly disowned much of our past. Why should they? We have shouted the name of Christ and enacted the service of Moloch. Moloch being a, an ancient biblical demon. And um. yeah, maybe for a, another podcast, I think there's something of that that's very true. I also, in all honesty, get very tired of that that claim that says something like most of the um history's wars have religious motivations and Christianity is just like all the other um world religions that use faith to rage, wage war and, and expand their their territory and everything else and um some of that is true, but that is also very misrepresented and ex- expanded as like this club against catholicism that um just isn't true and there's such um there's so much to learn about even even the crusades that um that have a lot of justification for <laughs> for defending our our patronage our homeland the holy land against incredible cruelty by muslims that came in murdered um tortured and were destroying the land. And so out of a sense of justice that Christians for the sake of Christ and for sake of this holy land came to defend it. It's not just a random act of warfare all in the name of Christ when actually we have evil motivation. So it's complicated, right? And it's easy to oversimplify it. Um, And I think we owe it to ourselves to uncomplicate it or sorry, unsimplify it and get into the different distinctions so that's all i have for this section again maybe it seems like a, a long tangent with uh, the, the appreciation of nature in one's country but those are just the 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 lower stuff right as he talked about this principle at the beginning that we need to get to where now we can move into this realm of um affection we're moving up the the realm of pleasures of these base loves that now can move us up to affection. And, uh, yeah, I can't wait to to start that chapter with you next time. So God bless you. Keep reading. Um, enjoy, and let's keep one another in prayer. God bless you all. See you next time. Thank you for joining us for this episode To learn more about Dry Bones Ministries events and initiatives and to support this podcast, go to drybonespgh.org. Thanks and God bless you.